Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 110 with my friend, Prakruthi. I am two weeks and three weeks. Ah, my time's all screwed up. You guys, it's been crazy. Uh, the season four has started. I'm in grad school. Time is going by weirdly slow and fast at the same time. I'm so excited to give you another episode, though. These interviews that I did over the summer that are coming out right now, I've been sitting on them and just like waiting. Oh, I want you guys to hear this so bad. So I, I'm each each time I get to release one, I get so excited. And this is uh, for sure no exception to that rule because Prakruthi has an amazing story and what an amazing person, just inspiring and always um, putting it all out there. And even if there's a fear of judgment, you know, you don't get that impression from her. And we kind of talk about that a little bit and I won't spoil the conversation, but definitely uh, check her out either, you know, right now or while you're listening or afterwards uh, on, on Instagram and you can see her tag in the, in the, in the show notes. I can't talk guys. It's early. I'm recording this early. It's still dark outside, but I hope you enjoy this interview. I really had such a great time connecting with her and hopefully, uh, you know, within a week of hearing this, I'm going to be meeting her in person for the first time, which is, uh, exciting as well. So enjoy this conversation with my friend, Prakruthi. Lots in common, my request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Yeah, I'm curious to ask you all about being a mother of twins, but uh, we'll get there eventually. Um, <laughs> first, I, I want to say thank you for, for doing this, and I'm, I'm pumped to talk about you, or talk about, well, I guess talk about you too, but talk to you. <laughs> I usually uh, I usually start out with how I know people, and I met you, uh, like a few other people I've talked to actually, through Clubhouse in their sobriety rooms, and um, then started following you on social media, and all of your fun, entertaining stuff that you do with you and your girls, and uh, you're traveling, and um, it's just been a blast to to kind of know you through that lens and from that distance, and still get you know those pieces of vulnerability that we we share when we were doing clubhouse stuff. And um, so I'm really excited to to talk to you. But I, I normally kind of go back in time to you know you're born, <laughs> and, and I'm curious what that looks like. Do you have any siblings? Where did you grow up? All those fun questions. Yeah. So I. Just turned 40 in March, so I've been alive for 40 years, which is crazy. Yeah. I feel like this is like my my third life. Um, but yeah, I um, have two sisters, um, and I was born in Jersey, actually. Okay. Are sisters younger or older? <laughs> They're both younger, okay. so um, sibling positioning is definitely relevant, especially um, in an immigrant family. So I was the first, I'm the first generation okay. born in in the states um so being the oldest and then being the first born in the states it's, it's interesting the position that i was um in my family of origin but yeah one sister's like about two years younger than me and the other one's about seven and they both live in like new york new jersey um but i moved over here and um it's interesting because i love to travel the world but in terms of living i really like i really like where i'm at so i'm curious Growing up, so two years apart, you don't remember your 
sister being born, but seven years, I imagine both you and your sister remember your youngest being uh, joining the family. And what was the dynamic like in the household around that time between your parents and you and your sister? Um, I feel like I've always like stood up for my family members. So I feel like I always um, had her back. Like, I don't know when situations would, would come up with my parents or something like that. Um, so that's something that I remember, but I know for a long time, um, for some time I was kind of doing my own thing. Um, so I was in my own world and she was in her own world. Um, when I was 15, I was sexually assaulted. So I was like, yeah, I was kind of in my own world. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. Um, in my teen years and trying to, trying to navigate life in America, um, or the United States, um, you know, and like even just college essays and things like that. Um, things that my parents haven't done in this, in this country. Um, so everything was kind of like me doing it for the first time. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that I was navigating, um, on my own, it kind of felt. Yeah. Well, what was that? I mean, that, that deserves like a conversation in itself being a person of color, a first generation. I mean, what were some of those struggles? Were there some cultural things where, where, like, what did that look like? friends and having friends over and going to school and, and meeting different people were, were there obstacles there yeah definitely like I never um I never felt like I was American enough and I never felt like I was Indian enough so it was um it was interesting like figuring out my own ident identity and seeing where I fit like I never felt yeah I never felt Indian enough and I never felt American enough yeah um so you know although I was born in the states I'm being raised by um to Indian people. So there was a lot of stuff in our household that's unique to Indian people um, and more specifically South Indian people. Um, so then it's like hard to relate to, to other people. Um, and then with the Indian community too, like I'm 5'10", so I'm incredibly tall for an Indian person. So I stand out aesthetically, physically. Yeah. Um, but I also just, I don't know, I just always didn't like adhere to the norm. Um, in terms of being a female and also in terms of being an Indian female or an Indian. Um, so I always kind of like stood out. Um, so it was, it was challenging. It was, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, yeah. uh, well, I imagine that, yeah, I imagine that fucks with your identity, especially as a teenager yeah. when you're trying to find your place and like, you don't feel like you're, you have your place at home and you don't feel like you have your place at school. Um, yeah. you, you try to find it somewhere else. And you mentioned being assaulted that, can usually trigger like a whole other path. And uh -huh. so, I mean, what, what does that, what does that look like for, I mean, I'm curious about a few things. Sorry, I'm going to throw like nine questions at you, <laughs> but I, I'm wondering a, like after that incident and like throughout the rest of high school, what does your relationship look like with your parents? Was that affected by that? And then what, what does that look like for your social life in general? Yeah, so I already, like, I would, you know, refer to myself as, like, the brown sheep of a family. And, you know, in Indian culture, we're very um, group-oriented. So our worldview is um, more geared, geared towards the group. And American culture is more individualistic. So we're looking and valuing more um, of the individual as opposed to the group. So um, I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's certain things um that i valued that maybe were more american um like the pursuit of happiness or something like that which um <laughs> maybe maybe immigrants don't have the luxury of thinking about shit like that yeah um 
but yeah, there was just a lot of stuff that made me feel isolated and felt alone. Um, you know, in Indian culture, you you brush things under the rug. Um, you can talk about good, good stuff, but you can't talk about the bad and the ugly, um, which leaves me feeling alone because, like, who am I going to talk to stuff about? There's stuff that happened within our family, and when I would bring it up, nobody wants to nobody wants to talk about that stuff. They're like, why is she bringing this stuff up? This was terrible. And I'm like, I need to talk about it because it happened. <laughs> it's real. It happened, and I need to talk about stuff to get past it so it was challenging like I felt I felt like I didn't even belong um within my own family dynamic and then when the assault happened um I got very angry um with my parents and I was angry with them for years um for not getting me the professional help that I deserved and I'm no longer mad at them for that I'm mad at some other shit, but I've gotten past that one um, because I recognize that it just wasn't in their wheelhouse. It's not, it's not, um, it's not culturally accepted to, you know, you, you have some sort of pain and then you go to somebody outside the house uh, and talk to strangers about these bad things that happen is, it just wasn't in their wheelhouse, you know? So um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I thought for years that I was being powerful by not acknowledging what happened to me. Um, but it ran my life either way, whether I wanted to acknowledge it or not. And I remember being in trauma will do that. (laughs) Oh yeah. It it shows up. And in my twenties, I went, um, so this is the first time I'm ever actually trying to be sober, um, in my entire life. But in my twenties, I did go to outpatient rehab. Um, but I looked at it more as research, um, because I was, I was doing, um, a master's in psychology and I'm like, oh, it would be cool to get information being on the other side as a client or a patient. So I was clearly in denial. Um, but when I was in rehab, they had one individual session and there was a questionnaire and I was filling it out. And one of the boxes said, um, have you ever been, sexually um, abused or assaulted um, or raped or something like that. And all of a sudden it clicked in my head and I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh shit, I have, you know? So I clicked that, you know, check that box off. Um, and then I finally acknowledged it, um, which was of course more powerful. But for years um, I didn't even, my brain didn't even recognize um, what had happened because it was just too painful, I think. So no. I wanted to jump back to, cause I think, you kind of got kind of got screwed over on two fronts, where the cultural aspect of of your family being like, you know, don't talk about this stuff, but then you also have like our parents' generation, like that generation doesn't talk about stuff, right? I can't imagine. I think it's probably twofold for you with the you layer on the cultural aspect of it as well. Um, and I'm curious, and I, I assume I know the answer because I myself am like, I'm going to grad school in the fall to be a therapist. So (laughs) I, uh, I understand the pursuit of psychology, I think, but is that what drove you into that interest when you were in your twenties is like, I want to know, you know, what makes me tick and kind of find reasoning for that stuff. It's, it's two reasons. One for sure is using my pain for purpose. Um, okay, I, I guess three reasons. So one, definitely to figure out my own stuff, which is quite common for people to go into psych. And, you know, recently neuroscience has really been so helpful to me in my journey and h- allowing me to like learn more about my brain and giving myself 
then I can give myself more grace when I know why I do the things that I do. Um, so that's been really helpful. But that's that's why I went into psych to to figure stuff out. But more than that, it was to help people to un- use my pain for purpose, so that I didn't get sexually assaulted in vain, like for no reason. You know what I mean? Like trying yeah. to trying to make sense of it, and then also. Um, I primarily liked working with the adolescent population because I think I was trying to be for them who I wish was there for me. So at that 15, 16 timeframe, when I was having the hardest time, I think it's like a pivotal time in a lot of people's lives. So that's, that's who I really liked to work with the most. And I saw so much progress in them. And um, I feel like they really, really would talk to me and open up with me because they, they saw me as like, not just talking from textbook knowledge from my master's degree, but talking from like experience too. And they didn't feel as defensive because it's like, I'm one of them, you know, like I've, I've been through shit, you know? And so, yeah, it was using my pain for purpose. And also growing up that group oriented perspective I was talking about, I learned how to help people at a very young age. It's, you know, being a a productive member of society is an important part of being Indian. So we learn how to help others. We don't, we don't necessarily learn how to love ourselves mm. and to help ourselves, but we learn how to help others. So that that was important. My dad was an interventional cardiologist for 38 years. Um, so he saved and helped lives that way. Um, and my mom does so much for the community ever since I can remember. I did like Meals on Wheels with her and I would help, you know, um, organize toys for orphanages at Christmas time. And that was important to me, trying to figure out in what capacity, like what way can I help people? I knew yeah. I didn't want to do med school, but I liked psychology and and not giving people pills to fix things, but alternative techniques. So, so definitely went into it to help other people and to help myself. I imagine that had to be pretty therapeutic for 16-year-old Prakruthi to talk to those other teenagers um, that may be going through something similar or even have finding that community like years later, but for that little that little person inside of you that had to be a pretty therapeutic time too yeah Uh, absolutely i what is your relationship like with your sisters during all this when you're angry at your parents and you're going to school that time frame i i really don't um like i said i felt like i was in my own world and i don't think that they had the understanding either but i don't know that i had the understanding to articulate at that time what had happened to me You know, so years later, I definitely spoke to my sister, the one that's seven years younger than me, um, and she asked questions about what happened um, and about some of the trauma in my past. But yeah, at that time, I didn't, my brain um, didn't want to acknowledge a lot of the stuff either. So, so I don't think they really knew what was going on with me, but what they saw was someone who looked like the brown sheep of the family or a bad guy or a rebel. That's what it looked like. But of course, those behaviors you know, were there because I was in pain. Yeah, I imagine, especially your younger sister, because youngest sister, because she's, yeah, she doesn't even understand what's going on yet um, at that point. Yeah, totally different world. So what, do you go right to college and go right into your master's program right after high school? Yeah. Yeah. What brings you out of Jersey? My parents, when I was three months old, they they moved (laughs) to this area, yeah. And my dad was, um, did med school in this country and um, okay. all of that residency and everything. Yeah, so you so. were only in Jersey for tiny, tiny, tiny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very tiny. <laughs> Got it. Um, so where do you end up going to college and get your master's and everything? I went to UIC, University of Illinois at Chicago. Okay. And 
I did grad school at Roosevelt University. Um, UIC is huge, so I learned that I didn't like that. And Roosevelt is very small, and I really, I really liked that. I really liked that place That's a lot. Good. Um, yeah. And then, where do you go after you graduate? After you have your master's and everything? I started working um, as a psychotherapist under two psychiatrists okay. for about a year. Yeah, it was it was challenging because psychiatrists and psychologists and psychotherapists, we all do different things. Yeah. And um, they certainly hired me to do a job that they don't do. But there was a lot of like boundaries lacking and um, they were Indian as well. So I think there was a lot of, you know, treating me as though I was their child and I'm not. So I eventually grew tired of it and um, I did a lot of good. Uh, but it was also challenging because I feel like I just didn't have a sufficient support system. I never quite figured out how to detach, which made me a really good therapist, but not like good for my own health. Yeah. I would go like 200% and give my all. And I'm like, if I don't do this, who's going to help these kids? And, you know, I, I did a lot of, <laughs> a lot of good. And one of the psychiatrists even would actually ask me my, my thoughts on what we should do in terms of medication, because I spent a lot more time with the patients than he did. But yeah, I, I quit because I didn't feel like it was um, good for my health. Uh, and then as soon as I quit, uh, I got pregnant <laughs> with twins. And so. there you go. So you're, yeah. how old are you at this point when you quit your job? So I had the girls when I was 31. So okay. 30 or something like that. Yeah. I'm just trying to, I guess, look at, so you graduate high school, you go to college, you get your master's and then you work in that field. Um, and that's encompasses your, all your twenties. Mm-hmm. What is uh, what role does uh, alcohol, drugs, anything like that play during that time? <laughs> um, yeah, I was definitely like the epitome of work hard, play hard. So on the weekdays, you know, I was a, a functioning, productive member of society. And um, I was doing my practicum, you know, completing my master's, um, doing research papers and helping people um, in the field you know, like during my practicum and things like that, I would never miss out on a patient, um, never flaked on them. Um, I would make it to class, even in the worst of conditions, to make sure that I got that A and I didn't miss that presentation or that, you know, whatever it was. And then on the weekends, uh, I would just binge. So my drug of choice was cocaine, not alcohol. I don't care for alcohol, but it plays it plays a part. So I yeah. recognize that I have... I recognize that it's a problem because... You know, one day I might go out and have one drink and be fine. And one day I might go out and have a drink and then it's two days later. <laughs> so I, I never know what's going to happen. So I recognize alcohol is a problem for sure. But um, cocaine was my drug of choice. Every weekend in my 20s, I would say every weekend for sure, um, I would binge. Yeah. So weekends I was harming myself and then weekdays I was helping others. Which is how I justified. Yeah, that is a very black and white uh, yin-yang yeah. situation. Right. Um, Which has helped me to justify my use and be in denial for so long. Yeah. So. I'm a, yeah, I was, I was a big fan of rationalization. Yeah. So good at it. As many of you know, I'm in grad school right now to become a licensed therapist because I believe that therapy is so powerful and that everybody can benefit from it. That's why I'm so proud to have BetterHelp sponsor this show. You know, we all have times when we want to talk to somebody, and going to someone professional can be much more rewarding and beneficial than just maybe talking to your friends. 
right? Maybe there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving some goals. You know, I've spent some time in therapy myself and I have gotten so much from it and my life has gotten so much better because of it. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, maybe even me one day. And there's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 15,000 plus therapist network. And that may not be locally available in many areas. And that's why it's available for clients worldwide through BetterHelp. When you sign up, you can start communicating within 48 hours. Uh, you know, you get those light bulb moments when you're laying in bed. With BetterHelp, you can log into your account anytime, send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule your weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room like with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. No awkward therapist breakups if you're not a match. It's a more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. I checked that out myself. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. BetterHelp wants you, and so do I, to start living a happier life today. So visit BetterHelp.com slash friendrequest. That's Better H-E-L-P, and join the one million... Oh, Nope, over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional therapist. There's a special offer for friend request listeners. You get 10% off your first month of therapy when you visit betterhelp.com slash friend request. That's betterhelp.com slash friend request. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you support our show. And then are you, when you get pregnant, are you with somebody at that time? Are you, what does that look like? The relational yeah. part of your life? Yeah, my current husband um, and I were together. Um, we weren't we weren't married or anything like that yet. Um, he wanted to do a long engagement and he was saving up for my ring. And he had this plan of um, going back to Costa Rica, which was our first big trip and um, getting married there and all these things. Um, and he was actually told that he couldn't have children. Uh, he yeah, he was in the Navy and he was working on jets in the Navy and he was exposed to radar and the military doctor tested him and said that he couldn't have children. Um, he, yeah. Boy, was he wrong. Um, <laughs> right. Maybe we need to work on military doctors. But I don't know. That is <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> how did yes. you meet your husband? Uh, I've known him since I was 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He He's two years older than me, so I was like 16. He was, I think, turning 19 or something like that. So we've been friends, friends forever. And then when I got divorced, um, we were we were still friends, and well, he was really on. there. <laughs> yeah, and there there was another one. <laughs> okay. Do you want to go into that or no? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. So divorce is also very taboo in my culture. Yeah. There's a very low divorce rate in the Indian community, but that doesn't mean that everybody's happy. It just means you just, you suck it up, you stick it out, you know, especially as a woman, we're, we're taught to be martyrs, you know, you keep the peace, you sacrifice things and, you know, make it work or whatever. But yes, I was with somebody else um, when I was like 16 until 20 something. And he was really like my first everything. So you got so, married young. Yeah, I think I was 26 when I got married. My okay. timelines are 26 or 28, maybe 28. But he was kind of like all I knew. And I just didn't know that different relationships existed yeah. um, that were healthier. So it just it just wasn't meant to be from the beginning. I felt like he was my good friend, but 
I wasn't in love with him anymore, but I felt like my family would disown me or something if I didn't get married. There were a lot of limiting beliefs, you know, in my head that I hadn't sorted through just yet. So um, we got married, but it was a very short marriage, but it was a long relationship. Yeah. And I, I just wasn't in a good place because I hadn't worked through my sexual assault, some other trauma. I just wasn't a healthy person. And I shouldn't have, I don't think I should have been in any relationship. So yeah, that didn't help. Not to say that he was an angel. I definitely, I definitely know my role in the relationship. Yeah. Can you remember finding out that you were having twins? Yeah. It was. uh, Tell me about that moment. (laughs) So I remember like food starting to smell gross. And I'm like, that's really weird. Cause I, I still, I love, I've always loved food. Nothing wrong with Um, that. What? (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. I don't know. I don't know. Like these days I, I feel food. like people don't like food, but I, I really like food. So dumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I just, I remember being like, okay, cause I opened the fridge and I remember the pizza smelling bad. And I'm like, that doesn't seem right. My, my husband, well, he was my boyfriend at the time. It sounds so weird to say <laughs> at this point, but he's like, okay, like there's no way you're pregnant, you know? And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, he's like, okay, take the test. But he's like, there's no way. And I took the test and said I was pregnant and he was pretty, pretty weirded out. He jumped um, on the phone with his military doctor. <laughs> right. You, you have some explaining to do. <laughs> right. Cause he, he had accepted that he wasn't having children yeah. in his life. So, and then I think we went to the doctor and they did blood work and then the blood work was confusing because it put me um, a lot more further along than we, we would think that I was. Yeah. And now we know because my hormone levels were higher because I had twins two of them in there yeah and then it was confusing I think the nurse practitioner told me that I wasn't pregnant it was like a false positive or something and she's like she was very insensitive actually too and um, she's like oh you can just it'll just flush out and she's like it's not like you were trying anyway and I was like yeah I was I was a wreck Um, thanks lady (laughs) right no and then I think they got the blood work and she they were like you need to come in right away and then they did the ultrasound and they were like, you're definitely pregnant. <laughs> and they were like, there's one and there's the other. <laughs> oh, God. What's going yeah. through your head in that moment? Because is this like right after you quit your job too? You yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think the stress from my job just went away and just allowed me to be pregnant. So, yeah. um, oh, I was actually also having a lot of physical symptoms. Um, I have autoimmune disorders. Um, Same. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you know how that is. But I was trying to rule out things. So I think I had stopped birth control to rule out, you know, to make sure that that wasn't the cause of a lot of my symptoms. And then as soon as I got off of it, I I got pregnant. So, um, so, so yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I am never one to ever believe in the statement, everything happens for a reason. But holy shit, a lot of things lines up for you. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Um, yes, and there's... Identical, so it's super special. I think there's like a 0.04% chance of anybody's egg splitting. They're called monochorionic diamniotic. So that's one placenta and two sacs. Because if it was um, one sac, then you'd be worried because it's like Siamese twins. But it's considered a high-risk pregnancy, and there's a lot of risks like of like shared blood vessels or shared um, things, especially in the earlier stages. So... It was pretty nerve wracking, um, but they're they're here and they're healthy and happy. So yeah, I'm I'm projecting this question from my own concerns. But was there like any uh, immediate? Oh shit, this is going to be more expensive than we have money for. 
Like, was that a concern? Because, damn. No. Okay. I didn't have it. <laughs> I didn't have any concerns. I just being, I just remember being happy. Um, can't tell you what, what went through my husband's head. Um, <laughs> but mine, mine, I was just really overjoyed. I've always, I feel like I was born to be a mom. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I've been preparing to be a mom my whole life. So well, yeah. Nice. I was really happy. So you give birth, you have two twin girls. Are you like, what's your usage look like at that point? Are you still partying on weekends? Oh, no, no, no. The uh, the moment um, the moment I thought that I was pregnant, so the moment that I took that home pregnancy test, yeah. um, stopped everything. Okay. Um, so so for the time frame that I was pregnant, I wasn't using alcohol, cocaine, nicotine, or marijuana. Um, marijuana has actually be, been the the consistent in my life um, since I was probably around the time I was sexually assaulted. So probably from 15 until two years and three months ago or whatever, um, that's been the most consistent um, drug in my life. So I've been a daily user of marijuana for years, um, minus one year where I felt like I wasn't in the right headspace and it was exacerbating some sort of anxiety. And then the year or so that I was, um, you know, pregnant. Um, But then I went back to marijuana um, but I did not go back to alcohol or cocaine for about four years. Um, and then I was, I was always a binger with the alcohol and cocaine. I wasn't a daily user. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, of, of all the things I've quit in my life, uh, if someone just announced that like, it turns out cigarettes are okay for you, I'd be on <laughs> that train immediately. I miss cigarettes so much. I don't care how bad they are. <laughs> I mean, I do. That's why I don't smoke, but fuck, I miss it. Um, no, same. It's wild because, um, you know, like physiologically, like technically, you know, you know, you're, you're stopped craving it like after a certain yeah. point, but like mentally it's like, I still, um, that's, it's a hard one. It's a, it's a yeah. hard one. I, yeah, yeah, there's, you know, I can kind of put my mind in the place my head was in, like when I would be drunk, but I can feel smoke going into my mouth and into my lungs like like I'm a fucking professional. I could write a book on how that feels. I just like yeah. that feeling and that that thought of and um, I don't know cigarettes. It's man. like it's something it's something <laughs> to do, you know. It's like a it's something to do. Like when you're out or something, it's like it's something to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's so many associations after eating or um if my husband and I get in an argument, you know, it's like it's just such a go-to um, yeah. to go smoke a cigarette. Yeah. 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 Most of my vices were, uh, my. I think my biggest trigger is just boredom. And I mean, there's some underlying yeah. layers there, but like, I get into trouble when I'm bored. Well, I used to get into trouble when I was bored, but. Uh, I feel you. I mean, Coke is a, you know, it's a stimulant. So yeah. my, my little, my sneaky addict brain will be like, Oh, but wasn't it kind of exciting to not know where your car was and not know who the people around you are and <laughs> where you are? And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> yeah. Um, got to play the tape. Got to play it all the way through to like the not fun parts where you want to off yourself. Like I got to, I got to make sure I go all the way through. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, amen. Um, <laughs> so t- tell me about becoming a mom and like what that looks like and having twins i can't even imagine like even even if you want to be a mom like that's got to be a lot of work right go big or go home so we definitely (laughs) yeah um you know identical twins there's no 
there's not supposed to be a hereditary component. So um, there's no there's no identical twins or fraternal twins, I don't think, in our family history. So what that means is that nobody knows how to do this. So again, I'm doing something um, for the first time with no, you know, with no guidebook and nobody knows what the hell they're doing to tell, you know, no tips, no, no nothing. But I, I, I truly do believe I was born to be a mom and it, I take it very seriously. There were some needs that I feel like weren't met when I was a child. And um, I don't, I don't, I try not to blame anymore, but they're just kind of like facts. But again, it's like, it's, it's what, what's made me take being a mom so very seriously. Um, and I truly try to do my best. I'm not perfect, but I think that I do a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I try to give them the tools. Like I know I can't control every situation that's ever going to happen in their life, but I try to set them up with tools that I might not have had when I was younger. And a lot of people don't have, it's, it's hard when you're young, you don't have these coping skills, but I do my best to, to help the girls with regulating their emotions. I do my best to like, you know, as a mother, I just want to fix it when they're suffering, but I don't want to, I don't want to tell them it's not okay to have negative emotions. Like they, they don't have, I don't want them to feel like they always have to be happy. Um, so I try hard to like allow them to feel whatever they're feeling. Um, and of course try to help them, but like, let them know that it's okay. You don't have to be happy all the time. So those are like definitely some things that are super important to me. What, um, what was your parents' reaction to finding out that you were having twins? Well, since I'm the, the their firstborn, um, these were their first grandchildren. Yeah, they were they were super excited. Um, but I, I don't think my mom had them alone with her until they were like nine months old or something. Because um, it's it's scary and it's intimidating. And like I said, of course, she's raised three, three children. And, um, you know, she's quite ca- capable of the technical stuff. But um, it's a whole new ballgame with twins. Just the logistics are just very challenging. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, I I love that you did the Shining for Halloween. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's. I feel like if you have twin girls, you know, you have to do that at one. Halloween point, right? is our Christmas, so we we're a big fan of Halloween. Yeah, who wouldn't be? It's a. I mean, I guess a lot of people, but yeah, yeah. My wife's a big uh, Christmas person, and I'm. I love Halloween. I love it. it. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm curious and I'm kind of shift the lens a little bit as far as I guess like personal image, body image. uh, You've spoken a bit about this like on social media and uh, it's been encouraging if nothing else like and very positive and I'm wondering where that narrative plays a role and I for whatever reason I thought you did like modeling or something at some point. Oh yeah, I did. I did. Um, I modeled for ten years. I. Where does um, that Where does that fit in? <laughs> that was um in my twenties while I was um completing that master's program. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just I didn't take it very seriously. I had the luxury of picking and choosing what modeling jobs I took because I wasn't um, dependent on it for for money. So I was very blessed in that way. Um, so I got to experience a lot of. A lot of awesome stuff. I walked in Chicago Fashion Week when there was a Chicago Fashion Week. It no longer even exists. So I feel like I'm kind of a part of history with that, which is kind of dope. I did a lot of runway. That was my favorite. I did like the Midwest Beauty Show, which is like the largest hair show in the nation, I think. Um, I had an international billboard. It was in every major um, country in the world uh, for two years. So that was kind of cool. Like friends and family um, would see my picture in like airports and stuff and send the send the 
pictures to me. Yeah. And then I finally saw it myself at O'Hare. Um, so that was kind of cool. But yeah, I just, I didn't take it very seriously, but I, I value all the experiences I had. Yeah. What were the, I mean, what were the goods and bads of that? Like, I know like the toxic part of that industry and obviously like there's, there's a lot of eating disorders and body image issues and um, drug abuse. And I'm wondering like, did that just kind of play into your weekend narrative at that point? Or were, were you no. able to dodge most of that? Like, what did that look like? No, it's so interesting because my my experience um, with modeling, like none of that, you know, like people had these narratives in their head that I um, I was a model who did like coke, you know, like it, the cocaine had nothing to do with my modeling. Yeah. Um, if I did cocaine, I did cocaine. I didn't go to jobs. <laughs> I didn't go see I didn't go see patients. That sounds yeah. terrifying. I worked in, you know, the behavioral ward for a while. Like I couldn't imagine being high on cocaine and going, you know, <laughs> being in a behavioral ward. Like, yeah. no, I did cocaine. I did cocaine. <laughs> I didn't go walk a runway. I mean, I couldn't imagine sitting for print work with my eyes bulging out of my head. Like that's not the look we're going for. Like I just, it didn't, it was one or the other. I, I was, like you said earlier, very, it's all very black and white. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't mix any of it. And then the eating disorder thing, I've been, I've been very lucky and blessed to not um, have any experience with that. Um, I've been at, I was naturally thin for a lot of my life, my, my teen years and my twenties. And then when I turned 30, my metabolism changed and then I became a mother and then my body changed again. And now I just turned 40 and it's changed again, which I'm working on accepting these changes in this new body and just working on like, um, I've never been one to be stuck on like numbers, yeah, yeah. you know, in terms of like my weight and stuff. So I'm just, just trying to be healthy. The food thing is, um, I, I can't, I got to change my, the way I look at food because I, I unfortunately think of it as depriving myself if I don't eat what I want, but you know, I'm getting older. Yeah, um, it's a real so, pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. I'm seeing that. So I don't know. I might have to, um, reassess at some point, but I do, you know, my cardio drumming and my Zumba and I try to keep healthy that way. Yeah. But yeah, no, um, the modeling industry is very tough. It also depends what level you're at. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't a supermodel. I wasn't working to live off of, you know, the wages I made as a model, um, which might've been helpful too. But some of the, some of the additions are, they're brutal. They're cattle calls, you know, and yeah. they'll, the line is up and they're like, you, yes, you know, you know, and it can be harsh to your self-esteem. And it's, it's surprising that it didn't impact me because I don't, I really don't think very highly of myself, which is I'm sure it's very confusing because I post so many pictures of myself. Um, but the way I see myself is very different, unfortunately, than the way that other people see me. But I would say that the modeling industry had no zero negative impact on my life. You guys, I have great news. Everybody is drinking less. Seriously, it's trending downwards. But you know what's trending upwards? Non-alcoholic beer. Non-alcoholic beer sales have grown 30% year over year because people are drinking less alcohol. So what do you want to put in there? What do you want to mix in with your normal drinks? Maybe you want to switch it up, right? You want to have a normal beer, you want to have a non-alcoholic beer. You want a normal beer or non-alcoholic beer. That's, that's a great pattern. That's a great way to start. And you know where you can start doing that? Well-Being Brewing. Well-Being Brewing is out of St. Louis, and they have some damn tasty beers. I'm a big fan of their Intentional IPA. You've heard me talk about it before. It's got the 16-ounce can. It's full of hop flavor. But, man, they have a dark amber that's really, really tasty. Hellraiser Dark Amber. 
They have the the golden wheat ale. They have so many different beers and all of them are delightful and easy to interchange if you're looking to just switch it up so you're not drinking as much or if you want to quit drinking altogether, they are your place to go. You can go to wellbeingbrewing.com slash friend request and save 10% on me, guys. I got this for you. And if you don't remember that web address, just go to wellbeingbrewing.com and use the code friend request when you check out. There's a lot of ways to do it. Either way, you're going to save yourself 10% and you're going to save yourself a freaking hangover. So go get it done. Love that beer. Love that brewery. Love you guys. That's why I want to save you that 10%. Wellbeingbrewing.com slash friend request. Back to the show. So I wanted to zero in on something you just said because I relate to it so much where you said yeah, people might not think you think so less of yourself or uh, along those lines because you post so much and as someone who like up until a couple of years ago like legit hated myself um i i i would say i think it's probably the opposite i mean maybe not to the general public but sometimes it felt like for me the more i posted the shittier i was feeling and that's why i that's why i was posting you know i needed that validation i needed someone to tell me like oh like you look good or you sound great or whatever that looked uh. like and <laughs> yeah it's uh it's it's a downward spiral very relatable yeah, yeah. i'm well, doing my best to get away from needing you know external sources um not just substances but yeah. also the seeking approval from others and i'm definitely making progress but you know like uh, people think that when you post pictures maybe you're vain or a narcissist and it also that term narcissist i don't think everybody understands yeah. what it exactly means because yeah. it doesn't mean I don't think in a clinical majority of people clinical. don't understand what that actually means <laughs> right but yeah no it's more it's more i certainly relate to what you said about seeking validation yeah. um but just because i post a picture that you might think is pretty doesn't mean that i see somebody beautiful yeah so yeah well that both makes me sad and i relate to it very much <laughs> I know. yeah uh, well, I guess let's use that as the segue, though, into how you feel about yourself and everything. I mean, what's the what's the catalyst? When do you decide that you are going to get sober and quit smoking weed or whatever that looks like? Oh, my rock bottom. So oh. <laughs> I didn't want to say that because I like I don't think <laughs> I have a bottom necessarily, uh, and I don't think everybody does necessarily. Like I don't think you have to have a bottom to, but um, yeah. So I'll let you elaborate. Well, but- well, bottom looks different for everybody, you know, yeah. like I was talking about how in my 20s, my, you know, doing my master's degree and doing so well and all those things was doing me a disservice because it was justifying my use. So, you know, like I've never had legal repercussions for any of my use. It wasn't really affecting my interpersonal relationships, you know, like, you know, I didn't I didn't have those negative consequences, but. I just hated myself like and I think I think you were saying something about that too like hating yourself but like the you know the pivotal like event that happened was my birthday two years ago and I was miserable and I I get um I get very like poor me on my birthday and I I'm even more sensitive than usual and I feel like nobody cares and that I don't matter I had my birthday on a Sunday because my husband works weekends and um, he chose not to take the weekend off to be there for my birthday. So I did it on a Sunday after his work. Um, point is like a lot of people can't come on a Sunday, yeah. but there weren't a lot of people at the celebration. 
which now I recognize it's quantity over quality, um, but this was still in my, you know, active use. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, nobody's here and feeling bad for myself. And then I started um, taking shots. And of course, my brain automatically went to cocaine. And yeah, and then I wasn't there for my birthday, which was the next day, my, my actual birthday. I wasn't there with my children to celebrate that birthday. And that was it for me. That was it. So just not being there for them one time was it for me um, because anybody who knows me knows how much they mean to me and um, it's not easy to even talk about hurting them. But the fact that I did hurt them just shows like how this is a disease and how I wasn't in control. So that was definitely what what changed it all. And also I just, I think I was sick of hating myself. I've spent most of my life hating myself and it's time to try something new. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. There was, I think you had a, a Freudian slip there where you said it's quantity over quality. And I think you meant quality over quantity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang. Okay. Yeah. I no, just wanted quality. to, I just wanted to make sure. Um, I was like, yes, you're not still in the wrong quality. mindset, are you? <laughs> no, it's quality. quality, quality. Awesome. <laughs> um, so that was just over two years ago. And, now, oh, uh, I started using again. Um, I don't know if I said when I started using again, because I had stopped Yeah. Um, using my drug of choice for like about four years. But then there were some things going on in my marriage and my husband ended up leaving. And, you know, of course, initially I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, doing cocaine because of him. But now, of course, I recognize that nobody, nobody makes you <laughs> use cocaine. Yeah. That was my maladaptive coping strategy. That was my quick fix my negative coping skill that was what I knew to do to numb the pain um so that's what I went right back to but in my 30s it looked more like um binging once every three months just because I was raising the, the girls by myself and stuff so it's I didn't have time for those binges I think which was a good thing so yeah for sure um so what I mean what what have you noticed as like a big the big change over the last couple of years Biggest one is I like myself. That's good. <laughs> pretty awesome. Yeah. I feel like that um, that sexual assault, you know, really negatively impacted the way that I viewed myself yeah. as well as the way that I viewed the world. It's just been a struggle with the with the self-love and the self-worth. And uh, it's I still have so much more to go. <laughs> but I can say that I like myself and I no longer behave in a manner which I'm not proud of. Yeah. Even just before we, I got in here with you, my husband and I got in into an argument and it's not that I'm not affected, but there's things I can be proud of. Like I wasn't reacting, I was responding, um, which is pretty cool. And like the other big thing that I learned about sobriety is that, which is so powerful, is that my my joy is my job. And so he doesn't have the power to, to, to ruin my entire day or affect, you know, like I, of course he affects me, you know, things affect me, but overall I'm in control of my mood. I can reset. Um, and I can choose if I'm going to have a bad day or not, which is like super powerful that I'm not my sobriety, my mood, my day. None of that is dependent, you know, contingent on other people's behaviors, which is pretty cool. I, I want to go back to what you just said too, about reacting versus responding. Cause did that, I say the wrong thing? No, no, that's, that's, that's huge. Like I just, I think it bears repeating because, um, 
I think in, in a lot of relationships where we are close to the person, um, and this, I see this all the time with my mother, which like <laughs> the, the, it's so difficult sometimes to, um, respond to the person, like thoughtfully respond instead of just emotionally reacting in the moment. And like when you're able to actually do that, it feels so good. Cause you're like, Oh, like I didn't lose control of this situation. Like I have been for most of my life. Um, yes. it's such a big step in, in relationships where you, where you do a lot of reacting. Cause it's, it's so, it's so much easier. It's muscle memory, right? Like when you say something that makes me feel a certain way, I'm just going to react. And to take that right. moment of pause takes so much work to get to that point. And then when it just feel like you're doing it, it feels great. <laughs> yes, I can just be proud of myself now. And I don't have to regret things or feel bad about things I've done. So um, it's nice to like myself. And I think the other thing is like acceptance. Um, I know some people call it surrender. I prefer saying acceptance. Um, but just like accepting things has been like a huge, huge, huge game changer. Yeah. So what's what's <laughs> next like, for Prakruthi? Um, I don't know. More of the same shit. Like <laughs> I, yeah, I haven't painted in a while. So like just sm on the small scale, I'm thinking of painting something next, like um maybe a phoenix. And um, I don't know. I I got Zumba certified last year, so doing some more Zumba, like teaching more Zumba here and there. But other than that, like just really just more of what I'm doing, being a mom, just getting through every day and like reframing and um, being sober. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you inspire lots of people, um, oh, whether you, you whether you like your social media posts or not. I know a lot of people get stuff out of them. And uh, oh, thank you. I was so happy to find you via Clubhouse and and continue this this friendship um i'm curious if you have any plans of returning back to psychology as a field or if that's just something no. you liked that experience and you're going to hold on to it but not do anything with it <laughs> or not i don't mean I, like I think... not do anything with it but you know no 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 that's okay um no i don't i don't have any plans of returning i, I think i was one of the good ones um and I, I love helping people, but um, I do think that it was to the detriment of my own well-being. Um, and although I am in a different place right now, um, I don't know that I still have that sufficient support system that I would need um, to do that. Um, but yeah, I've just, I've figured out different ways to help people. So I might not be um, working outside the home, you know, and getting paid to do stuff, but I, I love helping people. I really do. Um, so I try to find ways to help people, um, big or small. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, no, no returning to that. <laughs> Just curious. Um, yeah. I want to ask you about one more thing that's completely off subject of anything we've talked about. What is the story behind the picture of you and Snoop? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Well, okay, so so funny. I just have to say something about that. Um, I was playing this game with my kids the other day, and um, I forgot the name of the game, but you have um, categories, and you have to write down, like, five things in that category. And the card that one of them picked um, said best rappers, and they don't know any rappers. And I'm like, this is going to be interesting. And then I read, um, Asha read her answers, and she put Scooby-Doo. Nice. <laughs> and I'm I'm like, who is Scooby-Doo? And I was like, do you mean Snoop Dogg? 
<laughs> and she's like, yeah, she's like your friend, mom. And I'm like, oh my God. So um, I just, I just thought that was so cute. She said Scooby-Doo. Um, <laughs> They're both dogs. Yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that'll be his like next, um, next phase of his life. That mm-hmm. could be his name, but um, no, I just, I met him at a music video shoot. I did a couple music videos. Um, it was for the movie Sing is King. Um, and there was like an Indian rap group called RBD, I think. And then Snoop Dogg was there. And then um, a famous Bollywood actor, Akshay Kumar was on set. And um, this was in my active, active use, of course, active days, active, active addiction days. And um, I always had a cigar in my purse, um, a pack of cards and um, a jar of weed. You were, you were the uh, person to hang out with. (laughs) I know I, I, um, well, it was that, it was that sexual assault. It made me think that uh, I had to emulate what I thought a man was supposed to be. And apparently I think men should have um, cigars, um, <laughs> be really good poker players yeah. and have their own drugs and not have, you know, use other people's drugs. Yeah. Bad news. <laughs> I am not a man by that definition. <laughs> <laughs> my idea of a man has drastically changed. Um, my idea of a woman has also drastically changed. Um, I used to think it was like a bad word. Like my husband would call me a girl and I'd be like, what the fuck did you say? Um, but then I became a mother and I'm like, wow, being a woman is so powerful. Yeah, you are the significant, uh, <laughs> significantly better gender. So good for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, we were um, taking a lunch break and I was like, hey Snoop. And I showed him my my jar of weed. And then he was like, um, come smoke with me. So um, he had this whole setup upstairs, um, and he had a bunch of bunch of white boys rolling blunts for him. Um, and I was so kind, kind enough to bring the other models with me who weren't invited. But I was like, "Can I bring them? Because I like helping people." So, um, and then we played um, we played spades heads up. Um, I take spades almost as seriously as my poker. Um, so we played spades heads up and then we were friends, um, friends for a couple years. He, he told me he was depressed. Um, he told me he wanted to be on uh, true blood or whatever. Um, I don't know. He was just like a, he was like a person. I would help him pick outfits for appearances. Um, so funny. he got me. Yeah. I was like backstage at a couple, um, a couple of his concerts eating fried chicken before my celiac diagnosis and, <laughs> so yeah I'm, uh, so, yeah, i was on board with you until you said spades because you're one state away from me but if you're in michigan that would be euchre i guarantee it do you know euchre no <laughs> yeah, i'll, no, I'll teach you one day <laughs> i love that i'm i like um i like games a lot i i was big into poker and i was actually really really good um but then i had to ban myself because i will get so angry um because people wouldn't play right (laughs) and I'm like you're not playing right and I would just get so um so angry so I banned myself for eight years then um my husband and I were in Vegas um when we got back together and um he's like hey do you want to play in this uh world series of poker tournament it was a small one and I'm like oh my god I was like stressed out thinking about it um because I hadn't played in eight years and we had just done this dining in the dark experience where I wasn't I was in pitch black for two hours and I'm like, perfect, let's let's do it. So <laughs> I played in a small World Series of Poker tournament in Vegas um, after banning myself for eight years, and I placed seven. Nice. Um, I played for two and a half hours, um, but I was pissed off because I was too away from the bubbles, so the bubbles, the money. So I was 
two away from fifth, which would have placed me. Um, but yeah, I take I take poker very seriously, which is why I, which is why I don't play anymore. So noted. <laughs> yeah, I, I play poker for fun. Um, and but I have a friend that sounds like how you just describe yourself. Who he's the one that's yelling at everyone else at the table because you know if you're playing with yeah. friends, sometimes it's just a social game where you're talking no. and like. <laughs> this is why I don't play anymore. <laughs> I love it. You said for fun, and I was like, "Yikes!" <laughs> Don't worry. No, I'm saying there's money involved, but it's also you know catching up with with your buddy. Um, <laughs> Perkuthi's out. Got it. No. I'm, yeah. <laughs> um, well, that seems like a perfect time to wrap it up. <laughs> I will. I will take you off my uh, poker invite list. Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> but I, I really I adore this. I'm so happy that you sat down with me and and told me about yourself and I'm glad that I could learn all that. Um, is there anything I didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, thank you for caring enough to, to do this and find out more about me. It's really, it's really nice. I'm very passionate about mental health stuff and sobriety. Um, so I'm, I'm honored that you wanted to talk to me about sobriety. It means a lot to me. Um, and it's like an, it's an everyday an everyday thing. Sobriety is not, it's not easy. I'm going to go to this wedding reception. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I have a support, but I can call people. I know I've got people like you guys that I can always message, um, but I, I won't physically have somebody with me. Um, so it's challenging sometimes being at these events where you're the only one that's not drinking, or yeah. at least for me. Yeah. Um, but I'll have an exit strategy. I've got a car. I can leave anytime I want to. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was very happy to sit down with you. So pleasure's all on this side of the, <laughs> the Zoom. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right. You just listened to my interview with my friend Prakruthi. Um, isn't this great? And you guys, if you haven't yet, like I said at the top of the episode, go to her Instagram. Check out her adorable twins, um, the <laughs> the shining Halloween costume that they did. So good. So, so good. And, you know, I love how uh, open and, and in touch with, with like, her, her addiction that she was and how transparent she'll be about it. It's It's still weird for me to hear just, like, and yeah, cocaine just talked about casually and not in like a doing cocaine kind of casual way, but just like, that's what I used to do. That was my, you know, drug of choice. Um, and I, I, I guess I have some imposter syndrome there, right? There's stuff, uh, I edit out my own stuff sometimes about my past. Very interesting, but it's not about me guys. Uh, I am so excited that we're back and we've got a couple episodes in now 110 this is my 110th interview that's wild and i'll tell you what as i'm going through grad school i'm like does this count towards my 3000 clinical hours that i'm going to need probably not but it would be cool if it did right um and speaking of grad school if you guys want to hear what's going on with that uh hear about the classes i'm taking the different theories i'm learning and the different experiences I'm having in those classes, um, go over to patreon.com slash friendrequestpod. I'm posting updates on the off weeks. So if you don't have an interview to listen to, you can go to Patreon and 
hear a little update on how grad school in clinical mental health counseling is going. And I will uh, keep that going as, as long as I care to. And that's only uh, it's like a buck a month, a little more than a buck a month. So go over there, check that out. All right, guys, I will talk to you next week. I love you. Thank you for listening. Okay. Bye-bye.